...medicine to help Coach Jim Stanley calm nerves, control poise, realize what is at hand. Across the way, the locker room of the Philadelphia Stars, just last Saturday, part of a considerable miracle to get to Denver, Colorado for the championship game. Their 15 wins, they came from behind a number of times. They know well the rewards of enduring, persevering, believing in themselves. Because in the game that bought them the ticket to the championship game was one of the more remarkable football comebacks ever. Trailing 38-17 to Chicago with 12 minutes to play. They fought back, tied the game on Tom Donovan's 10-yard touchdown with just 50 seconds to play. And then, in overtime, Philadelphia won the toss. Drove 73 yards, beating Chicago 44-38 in overtime as Calvin Bryant scored over the top. The Michigan Panthers rolling into the playoffs. Defeated Pacific Division champion Oakland 37 to 21. John Williams scoring five yards out to tie the game at seven early. And then a record USFL crowd of 60,237 roared as Ken Lacey streaked into the end zone to complete the purchase of the championship game ticket for the Michigan Panthers. And tonight, ABC Sports presents... game of the United States Football League. The Michigan Panthers and the Philadelphia Stars. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. Whoa, Nelly, everyone, how are you? It's uh, your pal Tim, Tim Hanlon it is. It's Good Seats Still Available, the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. Thanks for finding us. And uh, it's um, uh, crackling uh, excitement is in the air. It's the USFL, uh, or we think is uh we think is coming back it's the uh second incarnation of it and uh that's our conversation uh today as we get into speculation this is gonna be an episode really of speculation as we try to sort of piece together uh what the hell is going on with this uh we think reconstituted brand new version of the old usfl the united states football league now um before we get into the granulars, let's talk about that clip there at the top. Um, that uh, gives you a little bit of excitement, I guess, that that was the USFL back in the early 1980s. That that was the, the lead in with the late and absolutely great Keith Jackson, uh, ABC Sports, calling uh, the uh, the beginnings, the intro of that game on Sunday, July 17th, 1983, live from then known as Mile High Stadium in Denver. Uh, the first ever championship game between the Michigan Panthers and the Philadelphia Stars, a game ultimately won by the Panthers, 24-22 to in a very compelling football match, uh, and uh, concluding the first season of the USFL uh, with games on ABC and ESPN. 
And it was lots of excitement. I think it, uh, it not only matched expectations uh, that first season, but it exceeded them on a, on a number of different levels. I think it was a, a, a more um, uh, viewed on television. The ratings were a little bit higher than they imagined. And uh, I think the attendance was around 25, 26,000, which is right about where they were thinking, but some gigantic crowds uh, that uh, dotted the landscape along the way. And uh, we all know sort of the history of the league. Uh, there are plenty of episodes that we have done with uh, participants in, as well as uh, um, uh, documentarians of and uh, and authors uh, uh, of the USFL. Plenty of great episodes. Jeff Perlman uh, being one, of course, with the great book, um, Football for a Buck, among, among many others, uh, conversations. Uh, but we're going to get into what we think this new USFL might be, uh, good, bad, and maybe ugly, uh, with our guest this week, Scott Adamson, he a return guest uh, from about a year ago. If you remember, uh, in our episode number 184, we talked about the city of Birmingham, Alabama, and its um, multiple uh, uh, exposures, uh, travails, and ultimately disappointments with pro football. Uh, and uh, his great book, The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football, is a, a must-read for any uh, a fan of not only the USFL, but any of the leagues uh, that have sort of come and gone since the 1970s. And here we are yet again with another version of this, uh, the USFL 2.0, uh, I guess a reconstituted spring league, um, is uh, kind of the uh, sort of foundation for this. And uh, it is going to be domiciled, we think, not officially yet, but uh, pretty darn close to it, in Birmingham, uh, an eight-team USFL league uh, with the uh, various brand names, or at least some of the brand names, trademarks and all, from the original USFL. And they're going to play next year, supposedly, with the uh, heavy hand of Fox Sports as an investor. and. Um, as we're recording this, uh, a, a hefty bunch of uh, Fox Sports executives um, uh, going to be uh, uh, handling uh, the football operations. And Brian Woods, the founder and CEO of the Spring League, uh, is uh, still very much in the mix and is going to be ahead of uh, the football product and all of it. Uh, but uh, Fox Sports, uh, 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 with all uh, likelihood, will be broadcasting I don't know if all the games, I think we'll try to sort of offload some of the games to, to other other possible participants, but uh, it's going to be an experience. Let's put it that way. April through, we think, July of next year uh, is uh, the season. Uh, these teams uh, yet to be named uh, and even domiciled. I think the thought is to have uh, the teams play in a, a single environment down in Birmingham, the brand new uh, stadium down there in Leach Field even as well. Um, uh, and then the, I think the goal ultimately is to get those teams into their various cities whenever they're named and, and, uh, and figured out. Um, but there's a long, long road until that happens. And Lord knows we've been, uh, disappointed before and nobody probably has been more, uh, viscerally disappointed, uh, than our guest this week, uh, uh, in Birmingham, and Scott Adamson has been through just about all of them, uh, all, all the way from the Birmingham Americans and Vulcans, two teams in the in the World Football League. Um, the Birmingham Stallions, of course, were the uh, 
the franchise in the USFL. They lasted all three seasons in the in the USFL and did pretty darn good for themselves. Uh, but also, there's been a lot of football uh, of the pro variety in Birmingham since then. Uh, the the uh, Birmingham Fire of the World League of American Football, the Birmingham Barracudas in 1995 of the Canadian Football League when the CFL uh, branched out into the United States for a couple of years. The uh, Thunderbolts, the Birmingham Thunderbolts of the original and one-year XFL in 2001, and uh, the even the short-lived uh, Alliance of American Football from just uh, recently in 2019, the Birmingham Iron. All of those teams have come and gone, and yet here again is Birmingham and pro football. Yet again, it's it's like it's like Lucy in the Peanuts uh, cartoon with uh, with that football, and and here comes Charlie Brown, and whoop! Just at the last second, Lucy will pull it away again, and we wonder aloud and uh, in conversation with our guest this week, Scott Adamson, what will become, what will uh, what will be ahead for this uh, newly announced and. Um, uh, remaining to be seen, USFL version 2.0. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about uh, what we think we know, uh, some speculation about what possibly could happen, um, certainly some lamenting uh, ahead of time as to what could badly go wrong, given all the previous experiences. Uh, and uh, it's just an interesting, hopefully, uh, uh, conversation that maybe gets you geared up for uh, the uh, full and uh, more pronounced announcements to come about this United States Football League coming up next year in 2022. Do we root for it? Do we? Do, are we uh, cynical about it? Uh, maybe it's probably a little bit of somewhere in between, but uh, we want to get into the conversation. The USFL is coming back in some way, shape, or form, and uh, we can't wait to present this chat with you uh, with Scott Adamson in a few moments' time. Now, uh, to get you set for that chat, uh, how about four great sponsors that all have wonderful USFL original version stuff that uh, make great holiday gifts as you might get ready for that football fan in your life uh, who might want to remember the old school version of the USFL and all those great logos and, and teams and, and uh, memorabilia and all that stuff. And uh, so let's just roll through this, these four great sponsors and we've got promo codes for all of them. Get your USFL on, the original version on, from our great sponsors. Let's start with OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS. 10% off all of your purchases there. Great t-shirts, lots of different versions of such from just about all the teams that ever played in the USFL. Fantastic stuff. OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS. 417 Helmets, collectible helmets, and more. 417helmets.com, 417helmets.com, promo code GOODSEATS there for 10% off all of your purchases. And yes, like the name implies, collectible mini helmets. All of the teams of the old USFL are represented, and they're finely crafted. They're great and wonderful pieces of memorabilia for you to have, to hold, and to cherish. So check them out. Streakersports.com, the purveyors of sports culture. Promo code there for you is GOODSEATS, and that's 15% off all of your purchases there. Streaker Sports has wonderful, well-crafted shirts for you there. All the USFL teams beautifully laid out there for you. Uh, and uh, the great shirts there for you to choose. Different designs uh, to, to choose among at streakersports.com. Promo code good seats. And last but not least, our friends at Royal Retros. RoyalRetros.com. The king of throwbacks. Promo code there is SEATS. 
just plain old seats. 10% off all of your purchases there. Not only great t-shirts from the USFL, but wonderful handcrafted, custom-made. Get your name and number on them on the back if you want. USFL jerseys, home and away. Uh, they are uh, uh, lovingly crafted from the old uh, videos and uh, and the game footage and stuff. And uh, you really want to uh, uh, impress your USFL friends, both old and new. Uh, why not you get yourself uh, an authentic uh, Royal Retros throwback jersey from the old USFL? Again, that's 503sports.com, promo code SEATS. Um, Sorry, not 503 Sports. That's their old name. It's RoyalRetros.com. Please, 503 is the sub-brand now. Promo code SEATS at uh, RoyalRetros.com. StreakerSports.com, promo code GOODSEATS. 417Helmets.com, promo code GOODSEATS. And OldSchoolShirts.com, promo code GOODSEATS. Happy shopping. Get your holiday uh, uh, shopping in now, and uh, you'll be glad you did. And please enjoy the savings on us and our fine sponsors. All right, let's get into USFL football, both old and hopefully, or maybe not so hopefully, new. We we uh, will sit back and watch and sort of see what uh, transpires. But here's the conjecture. Let's have this conversation now. Here it is. Scott Adamson joins us again, uh, and we welcome him back to our microphones as we talk about the United States Football League version 2.0. Here's our conversation we had just a couple of days back. Please enjoy. It's been a year uh, since we've last chatted, um, but uh, no more perfect time, I think, and a good excuse than to talk about this, um, I don't know, this USFL 2.0. And uh, when sort of going through my records and stuff, I figured, well, okay, who's our man in Birmingham? And uh, <laughs> I, I know that you've moved back there and having have spent a, a ton of time uh, in your career uh, writing about sports and other things there. So I figured... Maybe we should go perhaps to where the uh, center of gravity is on this situation. Uh, but uh, before we sort of get there, why don't you remind our audience who either uh, forgot or uh, never listened to our episode back in October of 2020, uh, your background and um, I think perhaps why I think you're uh, probably uh, on the catbird seat, I guess, at least uh, at least, uh, you know, geographically for, you know, uh, some speculation that we'll talk about. Yeah, um, you know, I, I started my uh, newspaper career in Alabama. Of course, I'm a Birmingham native. I started back in 1987. Um, before that, though, of course, I was a fan. So with the World Football League in 1974 and then working through all the leagues after that, I, I either followed them as a fan or actually got to write about a few of them, you know, when it sort of uh, crossed over into my into my newspaper days. But I'd spent 15 years in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, I moved there and I guess it was 2006 and worked for 15 years, but then finally got tired of newspapers and my wife and I got to a situation where we could move back home. So we've been back in Birmingham now for uh, five months now. And uh, I, yeah, I guess the timing is pretty good. You know, I, <laughs> I come back home and all of a sudden here's news of another spring football league. So. I guess they knew I was coming or something. Well, uh, and uh, it's also uh, especially uh, perfect because uh, your book that came out last year, which I highly encourage our listeners to get if they haven't already gotten it, uh, called The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football, right, is is largely centered around your memories, both professionally and personally, 
uh, around Birmingham's, uh, shall we say, unique history with uh, football leagues and teams uh, in various flavors of professionalism over the years. Uh, yeah, I gave, I guess probably the most ink went to the World Football League, and that was probably because, you know, that was my first love, you know, 1974, 1975. And they had, they had two different teams. They had the Birmingham Americans in 74 and then came back in 75 with a new franchise, the Birmingham Balkans. But I also devoted a whole lot of space to the USFL because really in retrospect of all the leagues that Birmingham was a part of, that was, that was clearly to me the best league in terms of the most talent. Uh, you know, I mean, it, and it's just one of those things that even though it lasted three years, it really, really uh, left a huge impact on me and, and a lot of people. I think there are so many of us who look back finally on the USFL us, us older guys who actually lived through it. You know, the people who watched it on television and, and went to the games and, you know, now you have this new thing coming up, which is calling itself the USFL. And I know they have the trademarks and they have the logo, but like I wrote the other day, it just, I wish, I wish it was something else. You know, it, the National Spring Football League, whatever their umbrella company is that owns it, if they called it that, I would be a lot more, I guess, open to it than, than trying to you know, bring back something from 40 years ago that they're just not going to be able to duplicate. Well, let's, let's maybe we should, let's kind of maybe kind of circle around that 40 years ago ish thing, because uh, what do you remember of the Birmingham Stallions uh, in the USFL uh, version 1.0? They were, uh, from my recollection, uh, not only one of the uh, good handful of teams that lasted all three of its seasons, uh, and arguably would have probably survived, quote-unquote, the shift to a fall calendar against the NFL because, of course, there was no NFL franchise in Birmingham and never really right. kind of was. Um, but 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 I remember the Stallions and some of those ABC television games, televised games, uh, as being uh, perennially strong and, um, if I have this correct, enormously well-supported, No. Well, yeah, I mean, they were, you know, as far as the the league itself, they, they did a pretty good job. I think their first season was probably their weakest attendance-wise. I think that's when they finished like a 500 record or something. Um, and I believe when I was looking it up, the average was only like 22,000 for 83. But then in 84, when I mean, they were a pretty darn good football team in 84, average attendance was over 36,000 and then the last season in 1985 it was uh I think it was back down to like 32,000 it was starting to drop a little I think because people could kind of see that the end was near when they you know when they were going to make the fall shift but yeah they were their second and third seasons they were very good teams and I believe uh, it was year number three when they played the Baltimore Stars and the uh Eastern Conference Championship game, I believe that's right. And, of course, they lost because they they had a rough time playing the Stars. I think maybe they only beat them once in their entire history. But, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, it, it had to kind of grow on me. The first season in 83, I was really into basketball, and I'd kind of gotten away from football. And, and I wasn't really on board with the concept of spring football that much. So the team and the league kind of had to grow on me. 
but by 84, I was fully invested in it and just thought, you know, man, this is, this isn't the NFL, but it's pretty darn close. And then in 1985, I thought this, yeah, this is major league football. It's not at the NFL level, but it's close enough to where I think, you know, anyone that wants to watch good football can watch the USFL and they're going to see good football. Well, the reason I'm bringing it up, right, is because uh, from what we've learned thus far, uh, last week, actually today, actually, we were, as we're recording, uh, the uh, USFL is uh, essentially have, uh, officially uh, reannounced, shall we say. And we'll get into some of the particulars in a little while. But uh, one of the um, components of it uh, is, um, at least for the first season and maybe perhaps even two, uh, is this notion, this idea, not only of having uh, a, uh, a reimagined or at least a reincarnated uh, Birmingham Stallions franchise as part of this new USFL, but also, at least in the interim, having the games centered in one place, kind of sort of like, a, I guess, what in the COVID era would have sort of been known as a bubble, but one location right. for all these games before even contemplating actually playing in these other cities and the city that's been decided, we think not officially, but pretty darn close, I think is Birmingham. Right. I mean, it looks like the, both the city of Birmingham and Jefferson County have already, you know, said, okay, we'll, we'll give you the money that, that you're asking to put this on. And, uh, you know, what they were saying earlier was that protective stadium, which is the new stadium in Birmingham, it seats 47,000. That'll be the main stadium, but I think they mentioned that there was a possibility that some of the overflow games could be played at Legion Field. Um, but, you know, I'm, when they made the announcement today that games would be on Saturday and Sunday, I assume it'll be kind of a doubleheader situation on both days. So I don't really know how they plan to, you know, you might have a game at 1 p.m., a game at, you know, 5 p.m. At, at Protective, and then you could do that again on Sunday. So I don't really know what they plan to do but it is kind of interesting to think of the city of Birmingham hosting an entire league I mean that's you know that that's different I mean of all the things that have happened when it comes to to Birmingham and alternative football that's that's certainly going to be a first all right well let's uh two things there so number one uh, maybe for our audience who hasn't been paying attention to the stadium situation uh in Birmingham I think everybody knows and reveres and certainly harkens back and remembers in various flavors, Legion Field, right? Uh, not only as a college football temple, shall we say, uh, and an occasional major separate event like, say, a World Cup uh, uh, or actually, no, it was, a, it was an Olympic soccer game or tournament, I think, uh, back in the 90s right. when Atlanta was hosting. Or, um, but um, but uh, you, you're mentioning this the, the new protective uh, stadium slash field uh, what is it? Where is it in relation to Birmingham? Uh, excuse me, in relation to uh, Legion Field, and uh, for what purpose? I'm assuming the UAB Blazers in college, yeah. Right. It was it was built with the idea that UAB would be the main tenant, which is the case. They're, this is the first season that UAB has played there, and it's a stadium. It's located in what's kind of been reinvented in the part of Birmingham. It's called the Uptown Entertainment District. And it's right near the Civic Center Coliseum where the old Birmingham Bulls and the WHA used to play. And they've remodeled that, and they built this stadium, and they built an entertainment area to sort of 
uh, I guess, reinvent the north side of Birmingham a little bit. Birmingham has been going through a, a bit of a renaissance in the last few years. And this is part of that. You know, it's just trying, uh, you know, south side was, I guess, the, the go-to place in Birmingham for several years. And it still is to a degree, but I think they're trying to sort of spread it out and make the north side of Birmingham also a kind of a cool place. And, and they've done a great job. I mean, it's beautiful down there now and, and the stadium's beautiful. It's, it's designed, uh, you know, it's got a lot of concourse space, so it's really, you know, it doesn't work too well in the area, in the era of COVID, but the idea is that, you know, people can mingle and move about the stadium. And it's, uh, you know, I've been there for every game that UAB's played and and it really is. It's, it's a nice experience and you can walk right out and go to a restaurant or bar or whatever you want to do. So that's kind of the, you know, I guess the, the crown jewel of that particular area. And I know before anything came up involving the USFL, they talked about not only UAB, but, you know, getting international soccer matches there, uh, possibly uh, lacrosse, you know, with the Premier Lacrosse League doing their, you know, thing where they go to different cities. And, you know, they just want to use it or they built it so they could bring in a lot of event type things and Birmingham sort of has a reputation as an event town. So I think they're thinking if they can get an NFL exhibition or, you know, maybe make the Birmingham bowl more attractive with whatever teams they bring in or, you know, get a big soccer match that they can bring people downtown and, and just make it part of an experience. So that's, that's what protective stadium is. It's kind of taking the place, more or less of Legion Field, which, you know, they're not tearing down Legion Field. It's still in use, but it's a stadium that's almost 100 years old now, and it's just not really – it's got a lot of, obviously, a lot of tradition and wonderful memories, but it's it's not in disrepair, but it's just not really a shining jewel anymore like it once was, and so they're trying to – yeah, it's, it, well, it's also cavernous, right? I mean, and if you're oh, yeah. you know, if you do anything in a fledgling or competitive or or challenger league of any sort, right, uh, a more shall we say right sized stadium uh, is probably uh, helpful to that mixture. Sure, and and you know, Legion Field at one point I think seated like eighty two thousand, but then they had to remove the uh, the upper deck due to structural issues. But it still seats 72,000, and that's a whole lot of empty seats, you know, when it was a lot of empty seats when UAB played there. And now with 47,000 seats, you're still going to have, I mean, you know, based on what UAB's drawn this year, you know, not even close to a sellout. But, yeah, that's a little bit closer to having, you know, you're not going to have an NFL team. You're not going to have to worry about bringing a friend, an NFL franchise to Birmingham. But, yeah, something that seats 47,000 is a little closer to standalone events and leagues that aren't known as the NFL. Yeah, look, and you also mentioned the Birmingham Bowl, now known as the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. I'm always fascinated by getting the right uh, sponsor names uh, involved. It's uh, another sort of pet peeve slash fascination of mine uh, for for other episodes to come even though it's not professional it's uh it's certainly indicative of 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 things that have come and gone lots of different uh attempts at all that stuff but look i mean look you get uh if if one gets the right sec i don't know 10th team and the eighth best team in the american or conference usa uh you could have a a pretty hefty attendance uh this year for the first uh first a version of that bowl game in the new protective stadium this year. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
And I think, you know, one thing, it, it opened with UAB playing Liberty. And it was supposed to be, if you looked at the weather forecast a couple of days earlier, it was supposed to be a beautiful night, you know, cool, just lovely weather. Well, there was a huge storm. There was a lot of rain. It was nasty. Uh, so they didn't really have the crowd that they hoped for. Plus, UAB got their clocks cleaned. So that kind of, I think, killed the buzz. You know, I, I think UAB was thinking, okay, if we can beat Liberty, which is a ranked team or at least a, you know, a very good mid-major team, that that might, you know, bring a lot of people into protective weekend and, and week out. And, and UAB's drawing fine for a group of five team, but again, they haven't come even close to, to filling up that stadium. But sure. You get a bowl game, maybe get some nice weather and a couple of attractive teams. That might be the event where you get, you know, if you get 40,000 people in a 47,000-seat stadium, that's going to look pretty good. Well, you betcha. And and that's sort of the where I'm sort of circling around is that uh, if you're going to have a – uh, a facility, right, that's going to be the majority uh, of the games uh, for this sort of uh, eight league, excuse me, eight team or is it 12 teams? I've even forgot. Um, eight teams, right? Uh, it's certainly, you know, to your point, double headers and, and it's a lot of modern conveniences. I'm sure the sight lines will be better for, uh, for television and all that kind of stuff. It just seems to me, um, uh, more uh, uh, logical, perhaps short of having a soccer-specific stadium, uh, which is even smaller still, uh, to put to uh, you know put on television and make looks halfway decent uh, a supposedly new professional USFL. Let let me ask you this: um, Do you uh, envision um, uh, the uh, uh, that facility? Um, uh, doing well, I guess, for uh, serving up a uh, pro fair. I mean, obviously, a college game is a different kind of experience. Um, but I got to think that there's some some new niceties there that would be a draw in and of itself, let alone the football, right? Uh, you might get that more casual fan who might be attracted to a new facility, uh, gleaming and sparkling and, and, uh, and fresh. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, you know, one of the cool things the first time I went to it, I thought, well, obviously I'm going for a game, but it is kind of an experience just because of where it's situated. I mean, it's a very, it's a neat looking stadium to be in when you walk around, you know, the concourse, you can look out and see the entertainment district. And again, literally it's right across the street. I mean, you walk out of the stadium and you walk into, you know, you walk over to some steps and you've got restaurants and bars and everything. So yeah, it, it is something that I think, you know, they can say, look, you know, such and such team is playing here and that's great. Go to the game, but also enjoy all the amenities surrounding the game. And I think if they market it right and you get, you know, some decent events in here, it could really be hopping. I mean, because it's just, it's, it's a fun place. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that after you've walked around it, you think, man, you know, Birmingham did a really, really, really this. Um, So I think they're thinking, they need of a lot, you know, a lot of events. I'm sure there'll be, you know, some big concerts that they'll have there. But, um, you know, certainly they would want some NFL exhibitions. And NFL exhibition games in Birmingham have always done very well. So I think that would be something that they certainly could sell out. All right. So, so okay, given the somewhat shaky sort of start and foundation of this USFL 2.0, we'll talk about some of the origins in a minute. Who do you think, based on your local knowledge, 
approached whom, right? Is this the league, uh, the spring league, which uh, was is the genesis of this? We'll talk about the spring league in a minute. Um, kind of finding Birmingham or Birmingham possibly kind of pitching themselves, perhaps maybe because of the new stadium, the entertainment district, wanting a showcase event of some sort, some national attention, perhaps uh, football, uh, uh, reaching out and trying to woo this USFL thing, or is it maybe a combination of both or a group grope? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a good question because it just, it seems like it just kind of came out of nowhere. I just remember seeing that Birmingham was being considered as a, you know, the hub for the first year of the USFL. And then when I've heard city leaders talk about it, they've never really said, you know, they've just said, Oh, this is a great opportunity. This is going to showcase our city and blah, you know, all the stuff, all the chamber of commerce stuff that you're expected to say, but I honestly have no idea. I don't know if, if city leaders got wind of this league and, and heard that they were thinking about doing a, a bubble season and pitched it. I mean, that would make perfect sense considering all this is brand new, you know, and that would be something that a, that a city leader, I think, would think, oh, okay, well, this would be a great way to sort of, you know, keep the, uh, keep the momentum going with this new stadium and, and new entertainment district. But I don't really know how that happened. Uh, it just, it just kind of, blind, you know, first of all, the announcement that there was going to be a quote-unquote new USFL caught me off guard. And then when I saw that Birmingham was being considered to be the host town for the first season, I thought, wow, this is, everything's happening very fast. And I'm not really entirely sure what's, what's, what's even going on here. Well, but as, uh, as Neil DeMouse, uh, the uh, writer and uh, chief brain uh, trust behind field of schemes, which is just an absolutely essential blog, uh, continues to cover, you know, all kinds of, shall we call them uh, stadium, uh, shakedowns of uh, of of municipalities, usually by the NFL or, or pro leagues and stuff. Uh, it seems that there was a pretty uh, you know quick uh, process within um, within the management of uh, uh, hallways in government of, of Birmingham to kind of bend over backwards and make it a relatively attractive proposition. I'm sure there's tax money and all that kind of stuff and. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, I, the, the, the sheer speed, I think, not only of announcing this league, right, which was kind of thrown out there uh, at, in, in sort of the, the waning days of the, uh, of the spring league last season, and then sort of some bits and pieces of, of uh, intrigue along the way, uh, it does seem pretty quick. And I wonder if the, how the taxpayers might feel about all of this. It seems like probably some concessions were made and maybe not yet sort of figured out. Uh, by government to get them in. Well, and that's what worries me. I mean, you know, when I saw that the, the money that both the county and city was putting up, you know, they, the way they were talking about it, it's like they were putting up money for some well-established league that was a sure bet. And, you know, I just remember, well, you know, cities get shaken down all the time, but I remember during the original Stallions, the original USFL, uh, the United, the city of Birmingham, I think, decided to loan the Stallions a million dollars or something. And this was, I can't remember if it was 84 or 85. It was, it was when the Stallions were kind of in financial straits and you were starting to worry about the long-term viability of the USFL. And I remember when Birmingham talked about, you know, giving that money, I, I thinking, yeah, they are giving the money. It's a donation because 
that's money that's just going to be gone. And I just wonder, again, I, I know nothing about business. I mean, seriously, I'm an absolute moron when it comes to that sort of stuff. But anytime you have a league that comes along and the city just offers to throw all this money at it and you don't even really know what the league is yet, I don't know. It, I, it just worries me. I mean, obviously, I always hope for the best anytime uh, a new league comes along, and especially if Birmingham's involved in it. But holy smoke. I mean, I, you know, let's face it. I mean, the track record, it's not that spring football has a poor track record. It's just got no track record. I mean, it just doesn't last. Yeah, and I'm I'm referring obviously. It looks I think Neil has quoted something on the order of like three million dollars to cover quote unquote expenses for the league's first year, and there's another seven hundred thousand that's sort of been floated around. So it's it's actually a little bit higher than that three million originally, and and that's that's a combination of of bucks coming from the convention and visitors bureau, the city itself, uh, Jefferson County, um, and I, you know. I, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, it's it's no different, or it seems no different than say a city uh, going to, excuse me, a a team going to a city saying we either need a new facility or uh, we need to build a facility in order to grant a franchise and all that kind of stuff. Here now you have a supposedly eight team league kind of doing the shaking down. And to your point, it's not it's not so fully fleshed out yet. Like as we talk about today. Uh, this announcement today that, uh, that there's some new executives uh, from Fox Sports that are, are sort of into this. And Fox Sports essentially is going to uh, essentially be the controlling uh, entity in this uh, this new league. Um, there's not a whole lot of detail around it. We still don't even know the names of the actual eight teams. Um, we don't know uh, anything about it except the fact that it's supposedly going to start in April, which is a, a new development versus, say, February, like the old or second version of the XFL and and uh, and the AAF, which was started in uh, I guess in February just after the Super Bowl. So there's going to be a bit of a gap, um, but I, I don't know. It does seem a little premature to put that kind of money against something that's not fully determined yet. Well, and here's the thing that, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll get answers on this. You know, I realize that they bought you know the logos and the naming rights and all this kind of stuff, but. I almost get the impression that this is going to be like a startup fair, that they're going to have eight unbranded teams. Well, you know, we'll have the Stallions, but I'm not so sure they're going to be the Birmingham Stallions. And we'll have the Invaders and the Stars, but I'm I'm not sure there's going to be cities attached to their names. It's like, it's almost like, okay, we're going to have these teams here and we're going to kind of shop them because they obviously don't have any, you know, I mean, they're talking about moving to other cities, but they haven't named any of those cities. They haven't mentioned if it's going to be single entity or if they're looking for owners. And going back to what you were mentioning about the money, if these are unbranded teams, who's going to come from outside the city to watch them? You know what I mean? I mean, I guess, you know, theoretically, if you had the Chicago Blitz, if you named it, you know, you got a blitz team and you say that they're going to represent Chicago. Sure. You know, a couple of people are going to drive down from Chicago to the games, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I'm just under the impression it is going to be at least for this first year, like the spring league where you just had nicknames and you've got players attached to them, you know, maybe as a concession to Birmingham, the stallions would actually be the Birmingham stallion. But I just don't know. I mean, it's still, it's just not clear what they're trying to do. 
Yeah, it, it, it is. It's clearly unclear uh, for sure. I mean, eight teams, uh, two divisions. Right. But it's going to be clearly artificial. Right. The uh, uh, the. Uh, and if if the uh, if there are cities attached to them, right, there is the expectation over a year or two. I think what seems to be gelling here is that there's going to be the first season in one place, uh, ostensibly Birmingham, not official yet, but pretty darn close. Uh, a second year that's probably also going to be singularly located. Uh, and maybe that becomes an interesting dynamic, whether Birmingham would do it again or there's another city involved. And then I think kind of by year three, the idea is to uh, have at least some of these games, if not all of them, somewhat domiciled uh, in these other places. But I guess what that requires, right, uh, is if that's going to be the case and they're going to sort of come out and say that, you'd actually have to think three years out as to where those eight cities would be, Right. Which is not right. easy because that's eight times the stadium uh, availabilities thing and all that kind of stuff, right? That's that's a lot of foresight for something that we don't even know what's going to look like next year. Well, you know, and I'm thinking too, since the XFL started making some noise about who's going to be part of their executive team, if the USFL does decide to do that, with where they have eight unbranded teams, if I'm the XFL, I just go ahead and you know, okay, we're going to put teams in. New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Diego, St. Louis, you know, I would go ahead and lock down some of, you know, some cities that you know would be, you know, that, that are in your major market. And then all of a sudden you put the USFL on its heels. It's like, oh, crap, we didn't, we should have gone ahead and, you know, signed stadium leases and worked with the cities instead of just giving them names. I mean, that, this sort of reminds me of what happened, you know, the, the, last version of the XFL, Vince McMahon had announced it, and you thought, okay, there's going to be spring football in 2020. Well, then the Alliance of American Football just showed up. Remember, they just kind of came out of nowhere, too, and sort of leapfrogged the XFL. And, of course, they only make it through eight weeks or whatever. And this is a little bit different, but you do have another league that's going to go ahead and start against another league that plans to start a year out. So it's just... That's what kind of intrigues me is sort of sort of the the behind the scenes battle between two leagues that don't even really officially exist yet, you know, other than than having a name and having a few people in in executive positions. Well, uh, the irony is is not lost on me, right? Because as we talked about in our uh, our previous episode when uh, your book came out last year, the history of. Uh, of football professionally in Birmingham is it's almost like the, uh, the old peanuts cartoon with, with Lucy holding the football and, and Charlie Brown getting up to run and just about ready to kick it. And Lucy pulls it away. Um, I think a lot is, you know, I, I think it's not unimportant to think through what's happened in Birmingham over the years since the USFL and frankly, even the WFL back in the seventies, right? There's been by my count one, two, uh, three, four uh, full-fledged, maybe some minor ones that I'm missing, football leagues and teams that have called Birmingham home since the uh, the USFL. You had the Birmingham Fire of the World League. You had uh, the Birmingham Barracudas for 1995 and the Canadian Football League for the, their couple-of-year expansion into the United States. Uh, the right. original XFL in 2001 with the Thunderbolts that only lasted a year and less than a year the alliance with the Birmingham Iron in 2019 in, in, in Legion Field. So 
I guess the question is, and you're the Birmingham native, what makes anybody in Birmingham with any sort of semblance of history think that this is going to be any different? Well, you know, honestly, I think less people think it'll be any different because it, it was funny when I was trying to do a little research for the show, I was, I was looking at attendance figures for these teams and starting with what you mentioned, you know, you you forget about the WFL, you forget about the USFL. The Birmingham Fire, their first season in 91, drew 25,000 fans a game. But the second year, 92, they only drew 14,000. And then the Barracudas averaged 17,000, the Bolts averaged 17,000, and then the Iron averaged 14,000. So, you know, you look at those numbers and you look at Birmingham's reputations, football capital south and, and loving football and stuff, those aren't great numbers you know, for the, for the past few years. I mean, Birmingham especially, you know, I remember the Barracudas, the opening game against the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think they had 40-something thousand people at Legion Field. But there again, Birmingham is an event town. A lot of times they will show up for something, but then they don't really show up again because, you know, by the end of the Barracuda season, literally there were crowds measured by like 2,000, 3,000. I mean, once uh, – college football and NFL started up, people just completely abandoned them. But, but I think, I mean, there's a, there's a hardcore of people that want it to happen. And I think there are a lot of younger people, you know, some young football fans that don't really have the, the point of reference, maybe that I do that are hopeful and I'm hopeful for them, <laughs> but it's just, you just got to look at history. I mean, you know, the only thing, I, the only positive I can think is, okay, we went forever wondering if a 16th seed was ever going to be the one seed in the NCAA tournament. Well, it finally happened. So, you know, now when these spring leagues pop up, you think, well, which spring league is going to be that 16th seed? You know, which is going to be the one that finally figures out something that none of the other leagues have figured out? And I want it to happen. You know, I'm kind of like Fox Mulder there. I want to believe, but I've just seen it so many times. It's just exhausting. You know, now when, Whereas used to, I get really excited when I heard about a new league or a new team coming to Birmingham. You know, now it's like, oh man, you know what, what's going to happen with this one? Nice uh, X Files callback there. Very good. Um, well, it's called the Magic City for a reason, and maybe maybe there's there is some magic still left in 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 pro football. I. You know, I let's be I, to be really cynical uh, for a minute. I, I tweeted at this uh, t- today as we're recording this. Um, what my initial reaction was, perhaps uh, attendance really doesn't matter, right? It, it, the with with Fox Sports's uh, investment and partial or, or or majority or some kind of ownership and certainly operational. Control, right? I mean, today was announced. Uh, I mean, Eric Shanks, who's the head of, uh, of of Fox Sports, essentially is the is the uh, uh, the chairman of the board. You've got uh, Ed Hartman uh, from Fox Sports, who's going to be the uh, head of business operations. Uh, the Fox uh, uh, NFL and college rules analyst Mike uh, Pereira is going to be uh, uh, ostensibly the uh, the officiating uh, head. Um, you, you've got some uh, uh, Moose Johnston uh, football operations. So obviously Fox is bringing in some people, um, but I, maybe it doesn't matter. It's almost like ESPN events propping up, I don't know, 20 of the seemingly 10,000 college football bowl games every year. I mean, I, I think it's lost on people that 
that, um, you know, the military bowl and the Armed Forces Bowl, and, and I think maybe even the Birmingham Bowl, for that matter, are all produced by ESPN events, right? Which is essentially to prop up, if you will, no disrespect, a game for television, right? It's because it's just it's a pure moneymaker during the holidays. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, attendance is, is irrelevant. And I think you, you may very well be right, you know, when you talk about it. I mean, especially since it's sort of the the offshoot of the spring league. I mean, of course the spring league didn't even pay players. Players had to pay to participate in spring league, but it was just inexpensive spring entertainment for them. So I don't think it really mattered to them that there was anyone in the stands. And especially when you had no overhead with players, I mean, you weren't paying them and, and see, that's another thing. That's probably more than anything else. I want to know what is their compensation plan? Because then you're going to find out, what kind of players are you going to get? I mean, are they going to pay like AAF and XFL money where it's a, a real developmental league where you got these guys who, you know, they're XFL veterans who have made starts in the NFL and done pretty well. Um, are they going to be able to afford that kind of talent? Or are they even interested in that? Are they just going to roll the dice and think, look, if we show football in the spring and we – you know, put teams in uniforms that they remember from 1983 or 1985, you know, they're going to watch. I mean, I, again, this, you know, we, we talked about it earlier. There's just so many questions that I really would like answered, but, you know, before you can even comment on, on what the, the long-term viability or the potential viability of something like this even is. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Brian Woods is the uh, founder and CEO of the Spring League uh, that's been around for a handful of years uh, and is essentially been more of, to your point, like a, a kind of a showcase for, for players, gives them a couple of more games, a couple of more reps in there, uh, and and has been domiciled in a, in a uh, single uh, location. Uh, the teams are, if, if you will, manufactured or uh, without – uh, you know, locational um, uh, parts to their um, uh, to their nicknames and all that kind of stuff. So they are kind of generic, if you will, in that regard. Um, but he's involved, right? And it's kind of hard to think that. Um, and again, this my initial reaction is is that the 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 somewhat ham handed approach to licensing and or trademarking uh, some of these old USFL team names and the USFL name itself feels kind of uh, I don't know, uh, nakedly brazen to slap on some nostalgia or artificial nostalgia uh, atop uh, a league that probably is going to be maybe just another iteration of the Spring League, which is, you know, a fairly generic pool of, of players and, and artificial teams. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If If the USFL signs whoever wins the Heisman Trophy this year, or if they start outbidding NFL for players, then I'll think, okay, okay, maybe maybe there is some lineage to the original USFL. But we know that's not going to happen. I mean, none of those things. I wrote about it, you know, a few days ago. Whatever the original USFL was, this has nothing to do with that, other than the names. And yeah, that's just me, and that's just me being a an old grumpy guy, you know, because I've, I'd also mentioned there, you know, in other situations like the New York Cosmos bouncing around a different league that doesn't bother me but there's just something about the usfl that just that one little pocket in history that was so special i just kind of want to leave alone. you know i just want to look back at 
and there were a lot of obviously, but we, you know, I make it up to be a much, much more uh, successful venture, <laughs> obviously, than it was. But it's still for three years. It was really, really cool, and it's just, I don't know, to pretend that you're bringing it back. I, I think it's really disingenuous. No, I, 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 I would tend to agree, and and but I, you know, I try to keep an open mind too. And you know, I maybe it would be a little different if there is an honest and true attempt to kind of reel back some of that history and and kind of thread that story and. Uh, and all of that back into it, right? I mean, we've seen the rehabilitation of, uh, you know, old North American soccer league teams, aside from the Cosmos, uh, in today's uh, Major League Soccer. You've got, what, four, I think, franchises, uh, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's another one or two that come along the way, that, you know, uh, uh, took the names from uh, from their predecessors and in their own individual ways, interestingly, some of them better than others have reeled back that history and woven it in and 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 sanded over i guess the the gap years between the 70s and 80s and 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 the, the current league right so anything i guess is possible but i mean you know we have a long way to go right including by the way naming the actual cities and having them domiciled there before we even get to that right yeah and and you know again i, I hate to sound negative because I, Obviously, I, I want, you know, I'd love for it to succeed. Uh, in a perfect world, if I could choose between Birmingham having a team and this, you know, in the USFL and, and the new XFL, I would prefer the XFL just based on the last iteration, which had to be shut down due to COVID. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I love the rule innovations. I thought it was entertaining football. Now, Birmingham didn't have a team, so it's not like I was, you know, married to watching it every weekend. And I've gotten to where I'm kind of a, well, not kind of, I've gotten to be a pretty big rugby fan. And rugby plays in the spring now, so I'm going to watch Major League Rugby more than just about anything else during the spring. But, you know, I thought the last iteration of the XFL was was pretty good football, and I enjoyed that. But there again, you know, I think TV ratings were starting to wane a little bit, and other than places like, uh, I know St. Louis drew real well and, uh, you know, a couple other cities, but it's, it seems like anytime they form these leagues lately, they're making a three-year commitment. You know, I know McMahon did that with the, the XFL. I think, you know, what you mentioned earlier, I think Fox is trying to do that where they ride out three years and, and see what happens. But honestly, to me, if you really wanted to make a league like this work, and nobody's going to do this because they're not going to want to spend the money. But you need to make like a 10-year commitment. You know, you need to have a big sample size where you find out after five or six years what you can expect, you know, every season for average attendance, advertising dollars, merchandise sales. And I just don't think you can really do that after three years. I mean, these these people, yeah, the money is there, but – for some reason, it's like they think after three seasons, we're going to turn a profit, and that's just not going to happen. You know, it's just not. Well, again, if it's cheap programming for television, you know, the the uh, the, the other parts of it don't seem to necessarily matter as much, right? So, you know, look, if you, no. keep, if you keep it domiciled in one location, you make it a festival kind of thing, not, not unlike the Premier League, uh, Lacrosse League. I mean, I guess there's some different models for sure. Keep, keep it single entity uh, is another, another sort of... Angle uh, as as obviously the XFL and the old uh, AAF 
uh, attempted to do. Um, I, you know, to your point, I, it's hard not to be cynical. And I think especially uh, coming from a Birmingham and given it's uh, many times over disappointments over time uh, with pro football, it's hard even to, you know, to even be more cynical, I guess, than the average fan. Um, but, you know, I, there's always that sort of uh, that sort of a, a glimmer of uh, uh, of intrigue and and um, and possibilities um i yeah, i don't know it just doesn't seem like it's 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 uh, uh it's got a whole lot of uh, of there there just yet and look we're if we're if we're going to be launching in april uh we're having this conversation what about 6 months maybe before it actually starts i here's the question i've got embedded in there where do you think these players are going to come from and more importantly or interestingly where where does the nfl fit in all this i mean fox is a major broadcaster of the NFL. You, you you can't imagine Eric Shanks and company wanting to upset the NFL with this. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing. And, and that's what makes me, I don't know. I, I mean, if, if for some reason they could hitch their wagon and, you know, the, the NFL could go in on it and say, okay, this is, this is a feeder system for us. We're going to pump in X amount of dollars and have an official relationship with them. That'd be terrific. Of course, you know, they did that with the World League and NFL Europe. And, and again, it lost enough money where they decided it just wasn't worth it. But, yeah, that, that's my thing. I want to know what kind of players are they going to get. I mean, are they going to get the kind of players that the last XFL got, which, you know, they were very good players. They were just, you know, they were last, you know, they were last cuts in training camp kind of guys. And I think a lot of them have proven that, you know, when given their chance in the NFL. But, like you mentioned, if they're just looking for cheap programming, if they're looking to make money, one way to make money is not to pay players a lot of money, you know? So that's, that's what kind of concerns me because I think ultimately if you want to be successful with any kind of league, you're going to need to put decent athletes on the field. I think at some point people are going to realize if you don't do that, they're going to stop watching. Well, I I will say, I think there is one thing that could be lurking behind the scenes in all of this, um, and it does require some forethought. Um, But even in the last couple of years, things have dramatically changed in terms of uh, where the pipeline of talent for the almighty NFL comes from. And one has to look no further than uh, places like the NBA uh, and, and a whole raft of other sports. But the NBA is a pretty interesting uh, example, there have been over the last literally couple of years, at least two or three major alternatives that have been launched to that of college basketball, the ultimate and historic feeder system to the NBA as uh, right. different paths, right? Whether it's um, and, and you throw in a little uh, NIL, uh, name, image and likeness components to it there. there. There are some newer ways to gain attention and get into uh, the the pro funnel, shall we say, at least in the NBA, maybe this is, and, I, and people have talked about this for years, right? Where is the alternate path aside from college football to the NFL? Uh, similarly, and, and, and maybe this is the a longer term vision, assuming there is one. Yeah, you know, going back to, I think it was the Pac Pro Football League that was proposed for a few years where you just get the guys out of high school, you know, 
$50,000 a year, whatever is their salary, and you pay for their, their schooling. Yeah, if all of a sudden the USFL said, okay, you know, we're for kids, you know, we're going to be open for kids who don't want to go to college. Uh, yeah, that would be a that would be a very interesting dynamic. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if we're at that point yet. I mean, that you're you're exactly right when it comes to basketball. I mean, that's changed the game completely. You know, in terms of of, of how you know talent you know makes their way from high school to the pros. Um, and you know, you got to figure football is going that route at some point, but. Also, you look at, like, what's happening with the SEC, you know, expanding to, you know, God, they'll have 24 teams before it's over. And, and you know, really, to a large degree, college football is a is a pretty darn good AAA professional league anyway, uh, especially when you get to the, you know, to some of these elite teams. So, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a weird landscape right now. And, and that's, that's why it's so bizarre for me that you – you know, and it's not just, I mean, the XFL and the USFL are the two main spring leagues, but, you know, we've, I think there are two different versions of Major League Football that say they're going to start. And remember Ricky Williams' Freedom Football League, which has been sitting dormant now for, it seems like, five years? There's there's a whole crap load of leagues out there. But now, What about the fan-controlled football league, adding a new franchise this year? <laughs> now, is that... You know, I have not watched. Is that a, an indoor league? I mean, I, I hate to sound ignorant, but I am completely ignorant when yes. it comes to fantasy. Yeah, it, it, it ran last, uh, I guess, last uh, spring or so. I think they had. Um, uh, it was. A, it was like a like, like a six game season, and uh, most of the games were. Uh, uh, streamed live on Twitch, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of there's an interact a bunch of interactive components to it. Um, you know, I. You even had Johnny Manziel play a couple of games. Uh, yes, it was sort of a modified indoor version of such, but you know it's probably more of a harbinger of things to come, right? This this uh, blending of uh, ultimately betting, but interactivity, fan engagement uh, with the actual play itself. Um, yeah, there's probably some there there as to what the future looks like, where you're blending, you know, the best of the real world with the best of the gaming component of, of football play. Well, and too, with indoor football, I realize, you know, leagues come and go, but, but there is always some sort of indoor football league around, you know, and uh, I always thought that that would be, and of course it looked like the arena football league for years had finally found its niche. And I thought, well, this is going to be, this is going to be the spring football that everyone needs because it's going to last forever. But then when they went under and, and, you know, now it's fragmented, but yeah, spring seems like a really good time. And then I'm just speaking from the standpoint of being an old guy fan. Spring's just a good time for indoor football, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, what, what you mentioned with this fan control thing and indoor football league and, and other things like that. I mean, it just, I don't know, just the feng shui of sports seems to, to fit better if if indoor football kind of occupies the spring. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. Not unlike indoor soccer relative to the outdoor game, right? There's no um, uh, you don't have to force yourself to try to separate the two because they're not they're not completely similar. They're just different, and you know that going in. So there is no comparison. There is no degradation of the the challenger versus the the real thing, so to speak. I, you know, I, I tend to agree with you on that, but you know, I spring football though, we've talked about this for ages, right? And I think most people still 
despite all the fits and starts and 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 stumbles that that um, besides the stories around them all, there still feels to a lot of people like there is a marketable gap in that sort of dead zone between the Super Bowl and whenever the NFL starts up again. And you see it a little bit with spring football in the college game, right? These spring games now being televised. That wasn't a thing 10 right. years ago, right? Um, where right. there's an itch, you know, for something competitive. Um, I don't know. I, I just think as long as there are men and football and money, um, people are going to continue to sort of ride up that hill and, 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 and try to plant some flags to do so. Oh, yeah. And, and just, you know, speaking for me, if, if Birmingham has a team, I'm going to watch Birmingham's team play, you know, whether USFL, XFL, or whatever FL comes along. I mean, I'm going to watch it. And, and to your point about, you know, football in the spring, I mean, baseball, and, and again, I'm just speaking personally here, I really love minor league baseball, but I've reached the point now where major league baseball, it's just, it's almost lost on me. So it's not like spring football would be interfering with the national pastime. That, that doesn't bother me. I mean, for me, spring football interferes with major league rugby. You know, and I, I realize I'm in the vast minority there, but just as far as my fan, you know, as my viewing habits, I mean, there are certainly enough athletes to make a league like this go, but I think with me, it always comes down to, you almost wish you had a, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk just buy a league, you know, where it can run for perpetuity. You don't have to worry about anything, you know, as long as they're there, the league's going to last forever and just let it grow and, and not worry about, you know, having to turn a profit after three years or whatever, because, you know, given time, I think something like that could work, but I guess, you know, I'm not sure I got the point across earlier what I was trying to say. It's just, I just don't think the people who run these things are willing to continue to put money behind it. I mean, I think they want a certain profit by a certain time, and I just don't know if that's realistic. You know, I'd love to think they would ride it out for, for years and give something a chance to grow. But, you know, I mean, even these very, very rich people want to get richer. And if they see that they're losing money or they're not making the kind of profit they thought they're going to pull the plug, the plug and go into some new toy. Yeah. You know, I also wonder too, if, um, you know, this is also a, a relatively inexpensive investment for Fox sports, just generally right for the NFL and its future and with them as well as perhaps other sports as technology and streaming and interactivity and betting, right? Uh, remember Fox of all the major, uh, U.S. programmers out there is the only one that has uh, uh, purchased and owns its own betting platform. Others are just licensing their names to betting. Yeah, that's, so so that's it feels. Good. Yeah, so I you you wonder too that it, 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 it as I sort of hinted at earlier, it may not matter. It may not matter uh, if they go to the actual individual cities, how many people show up at the games and stuff. Maybe it's just an ancillary ancillarily. Um, if I can make an adverb out of it, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, additional stream of revenue or two. But maybe this is a bigger picture thing here that this is more just one gigantic experiment uh, with the added benefit of, of helping players uh, play some more games and fans watch some more games on TV to kind of learn how interactivity and betting and, and all those other sort of 
newfangled stuff to, can help them maybe compete against Amazon to, to broadcast games in the future. Yeah. I mean, I would absolutely love to be proved wrong. I mean, I would love to to know that this or that, well, I mean, you know, I don't think you can have the USFL and the XFL both exist. I think if, if they're both moderately successful, you'd probably see some sort of merger in the future. But, you know, it, it would be fantastic if someone could finally, again, be that 16 seed where you beat the one, if you could finally figure it out. I mean, you know, they would, I, I would consider that one of the great feats in, in sports business history because I would love to see it. But again, I, you know, I'm speaking to it from the standpoint of someone who has lived through seven leagues and seven teams in Birmingham. None of those leagues and none of those teams still exist. So, yeah, it's just really hard to think, okay, this is going to be the one. Finally, this is going to be the one that lasts. You hope it is, but, you know, it's just, you just don't want to, you just don't want to go on that date because you kind of know how it's going to end. All righty, the stage is set and the anticipation just grows. It's uh, just uh, uh, with, with electricity in the air, uh, the uh, the coming weeks and months. Uh, let's see what transpires in this new USFL. Uh, let's see. You can uh, prepare yourselves by going back in time, uh, not only to the uh, some of the history of the USFL, but also all the teams that have come and gone uh, in Birmingham football. Uh, two ways, frankly. Uh, one is the book. We talked about it uh, uh, for the first time on our episode number 184, uh, uh, which you can find, by the way, at goodseatstillavailable.com. Just search up that episode 184 or this one, 240, and you will find a convenient link to Scott Adamson's uh, wonderful book. Uh, it's, a, it's a treat and a romp through Birmingham's professional football uh, experiences. It's called The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football. You will enjoy it. It's uh, published by Burnaby Books. And like I said, you can find a convenient link to it at goodseatstillavailable.com. It'll be whisked away to Amazon. You can get it in uh, all kinds of different forms and speeds delivered to your home. Um, of course, if you want to buy it, your independent bookseller or wherever else you find books, go for it. But just get it, for God's sake, so you're going to enjoy it. And uh, in addition to that, I highly recommend a bookmark to you at adamsonmedia.com. That's his website, Scott's website. That is adamson, A-D-A-M-S-O-N, media, adamsonmedia.com. And uh, just great blog posts, uh, not only of the old USFL, but all kinds of uh, pro football leagues and frankly, other forgotten leagues generally too. And I, there's never, uh, there's not a, a, a week or a month that goes by that, that Scott doesn't find uh, a, a league that I never heard of before. Uh, or even a uh, proposed league that uh, was looking like it was going to be real, but never really showed up uh, in 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 reality. But uh, Scott has somehow unearthed uh, the details and uh, and the stories behind them. Uh, you will enjoy following him there for sure. You can also fo- uh, follow him on social media on Twitter. Uh, you follow him at Adamson SL, as in Sam, as an L. It's Adamson SL. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, so uh, by all means, follow, buy the book, whatever, uh, and get yourself ready for, we think, hopefully, the uh, USFL 2.0 coming up in 
April of next year. What else? Our social media feeds. You can find us on Twitter at Good Seat Still. You can find us on Instagram at Good Seat Still Available. You can find us on Facebook at Good Seats Still Available. And you can find our website at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. You can send us email at hello at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. You can get our email newsletter each and every week. Just go to the website, give us your name and email address, and we'll get you on the list to give you a little tip off. So what we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, and of course, our great pal, Jerry Payne. Jerry Payne, Audio Excellence. Thank you, sir, for all your kind uh, and uh, good editing skills this week. We appreciate it. And we're going to leave you now with a little... Uh, I will say the USFL had some great theme songs, especially from their broadcasters. You heard at the top of the show the great uh, theme uh, music uh, for ABC's broadcasts of the USFL. And we're going to leave you with those uh, uh, Monday night and midweek game themes from ESPN back in the 80s. Uh, and this is what uh, you heard uh, when you were getting ready to watch those games on cable. Yes, the fledgling thing known as cable back in 1983. Uh, so enjoy this little piece of USFL history, the original that is, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.